Ja, das hätte man los, das wohl. Ich Deeds. 
Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Quite strong words actually. Faith without deeds is dead. So what is living by faith? Well, is it trusting God? Trusting God every day, is that right? Well, then ask the next question, what is trusting God? What does it actually mean? We use these words all the time, but what does it mean on a day-to-day basis to put my trust in God? Faith is not an intellectual contemplation. It's not emotionalism. It's not stirring up something within us. That's not faith. You might disagree with these comments, but I'm going to say them anyway. And over coffee, you can tell me why you disagree. But often we talk about faith as trusting God for tomorrow, that we have a nice day because I'm going on a picnic. So my faith is in God that there will be a nice day. I also, when I'm driving to Asda, want to have a parking space. So I pray to God that, and I trust God that he'll provide a parking place. Now, I've got a problem with that because I've had many picnics in the rain and I've many times not found a parking space. So is my faith weak or is God not hearing my prayer? Or is that what faith is really all about? Because the, the other problem I have is my next-door neighbour has just planted seeds to grow a lawn. He wants rain tomorrow. So there's all sorts of confusion issues there. And I don't believe that's really what I mean by faith. And we often talk about faith as being this nebulous thing that um, it's God giving us something that we would like. Faith is more concrete than that. I've got a definition which, which I like. Faith is confidence obedience to God's word despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. Confident obedience to God's word despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. And I think if we apply that to to different aspects of our life, it helps us to understand what living by faith means. And James in this um, part that we read uses two examples of people who lived by faith, who uses this principle. One is Abraham, and one is Rahab. You couldn't get two different people. Abraham was a Jew. He was the father of the Jews. He was a a friend of God. Rahab was a Gentile, and she was a prostitute. So two extremes in terms of, humanly speaking, but both of them had something in common. They both demonstrated faith in God in a practical way. 
Abraham lived in a place called Ur, which is South Iraq as we know it now. And he was asked by God one day to move from his home and go to another country many miles away. Right, without There's a bit of explanation, but not really too much. And it says in the Bible, Abraham, he did what he was told. He left his home. And that's the obedience part. He obeyed God. The circumstances that we look at for Abraham were that he was 75 years old. He had lived there possibly all his life. His family and his friends were in Ur. His flock of sheep and goats and cattle were in Ur. Everything that he had in his life was in that place. So those are the circumstances that he had to um, face when obeying God's instruction. The consequences, well, the consequences pretty well unknown as far as he was concerned. He didn't know if he'd actually get to the place he was going to. He was going to have to follow God's leading. He was, as I say, having to make new friends and settle into a new place. So the consequences were quite strong. So it wasn't an easy decision to make, but we read that Abraham did what God asked him to do. And that is living by faith. That is active faith in his life. He obeyed what God said despite the circumstances and in spite of the possible consequences to that. When we come to Rahab, she was living in a place called Jericho. The Israelites were looking to try and take over Jericho and Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to check it out before they they advanced further. Um, And they needed a place to hide because obviously the people of Jericho were against them. And they found Rahab's house and they asked if they could stay there, and Rahab said yes. Now, Rahab was one of the Gentiles living in Jericho. She was one of the people that they were coming to take over. And she allowed them to stay in that house, and also when they came the next day to look for them, she directed the people away to another direction. The obedient part of it again, she obeyed God in taking them into the house. The circumstances were quite severe. The people there were not in favour of these spies. The consequences really were that she could be killed because of what she was doing. So here's another example then of confident obedience to God's word despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. She was living by faith. I'm saying all this, but what does it mean for us to live by faith? Because we don't often get asked to move from here to Swansea or wherever it might be. I don't mean then wrong with Swansea. But we don't get asked to move in that way very often. We don't get asked to take spies into our home. So what does it mean for us? I want to just turn to John chapter 12, to John chapter 14, sorry, verse 12. There's a verse there that I think is a, is a wonderful verse, but also one which... 1242. Chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's comforting them because he's talking about the fact that he's going to be leaving them soon. It says in verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. 
That's in itself quite a strong statement. But then he's going to say, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, this verse has caused all sorts of speculations. What does Jesus mean by this? Does it mean that these disciples are going to feed 5,000 people on their own? Does it mean they're going to change water into wine? Are they going to raise people from the dead? I don't believe that's what's happening here. Jesus, when he was here in his body, was limited to where he could be. He moved around the country. He would be in Jerusalem one day. He'd be in Capernaum another day. Um, and people gathered round. Crowds followed him. And he was able to share his love and compassion with them. He was able to teach them. But he could only do that in the limited way that a human can do. He is leaving the disciples. He's sending his Holy Spirit to live in each one of them and us. And he is saying to them, you're going to do greater works. And I believe what that means is we now have the body of Christ on earth with Christ as our head. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit. And that body of Christ is able to witness through word, through the gospel, through compassion, through love, to so many more people than the Lord Jesus could when he was here because of the restriction of his human body. Now, I know God is everywhere, but in terms of um, the person of the Lord Jesus, he was only able to speak to those who are around him. Now we have the body of Christ through the whole world demonstrating his love, his compassion, and his gospel to all those people. I believe that's what it means when it says greater works than this will you be doing. And we are all part of that if we're a Christian. We're part of the body of Christ. And he's asking us to do things that will be the same as what Jesus did in that sharing of compassion. That we might have the mind of Christ. We might think the way that he thought. And we might be able to share with people the way that he shared In practical terms, what is it then that God is asking us to do? How do we live by faith? Well, I've mentioned that we don't often get asked to move house. That is a possibility. God can ask us to do that. He can ask us to take people in like spies. But, you know, there are very practical things that God asks us to do on a daily basis. James is linked very closely with the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, we'll just pick out some of the things there that, that Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's explaining to them, this is the way life is going to be when you become a Christian. The Old Testament has gone, the way, the way that um, the, the rules of the Old Testament, I'm, I'm going to replace those by these rules, if you like, or these guidelines, which are quite different. They actually go far further than the Old Testament did. If you look at verse, chapter 5, verse 16, for example, he's talking about salt and light. In the same way, he says, light, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We will come across people every day who don't know the Lord Jesus. Obedience would be to share with them the salvation that we know about, the gospel that we know with them. That would be obedience. 
The circumstances, however, that we find ourselves in is that very often that person has expressed no interest at all. In fact, some of them are very anti what God is saying. And therefore, the consequences of that action would be that they might ridicule me, they might get nasty with me. Now, what is living by faith in that situation? It's being obedient to what God asks us to do despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences of what will happen. Does that make sense? It's a very practical way of living by faith, but we face that every day. We don't have to wait for something to happen. It's there before us each day. If you look at verse 41 of chapter 5, where it says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. How often do we find there's someone who asks us a favor? Your circumstances might be that you've been out all day. You've been working. And you get home and your next door neighbor says for the 14th time, Oh, you do me a favor. I can't get out to the shops. Would you mind just nipping out and get me a pound of whatever, potatoes? And your immediate reaction is, I've been out all day. The last thing I want to do is to go out again. That's the, that's the circumstances we're in. And the consequences are, I'm tired. I want my own tea. It's, these are real practical situations we face daily. And God is saying to us, when someone asks you for that, you don't just say, I'm going to go to Asda for you. You've got to go to Tesco as well. Because it says, go two miles. Right? And that's what it means, obedience despite the circumstances and the consequences. Very practical application. Verse 44 says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, unless I'm alone in this, there are many people through our lives that we end up finding it difficult to go on with. Yeah. I hope you're not thinking that of me. <laughs> when you nod your head, don't think of me. Um, I can think of you, but don't think of me. No, there are. There are people, sometimes in our family, sadly, we can fall out with. We have difficult times. We, we, we just don't get on. And God is saying, that's not the way it should be. Love them, even if they don't like you. Love them. Forgive them. Go up to them and share with them your forgiveness. Now, the, the circumstances I've said might be that it's so difficult because this, this person hasn't spoken to me for 10 years and it was their fault. And if I go in now and speak to them, they're going to, the consequences of that are going to be, they could just laugh at me or they might start shouting at me. I don't know. And God is saying, well, if you want to live by faith, if you want to represent me, then you have to do these things. Chapter 6, verse 25. It talks about do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. How often do we worry? We worry about family. We have members of the family who have perhaps gone off the rails a bit, and we worry about them. We've got members of the family who are not well. And these are understandable situations that we have. But God is saying to us, don't be anxious about that. Right? Trust in me. 
It's not always easy to do that because we want to be in control. We want to deal with those situations ourselves. We want to somehow find a way around them. But often God is saying, you, you, you've really got to trust in me, this one. Right? Don't be anxious. Do what you can to help, obviously, but don't worry about it. There may be things within the church that we're asked to do. And our natural reaction is, I can't do that. You're asking me to do something which is foreign to me. Now, the Bible's full of people who are asked by God to do things against their nature, their character. And that's wonderful because you, what, you know why? Because God's able to demonstrate that it's him working on us, not ourselves. So God does speak to us and asks us to do things in the church. How do we react? Do we obey what God says? Or do we say, well, the circumstances are that I'm just not up to it. I'm just not capable of doing that. And I don't want to make a fool of myself. And God is saying, trust in me. So you see where I'm going in this? It's, it's a very practical living by faith, isn't it? It's accepting that we can't do a lot of things. Or we choose not to do a lot of things. But God is saying to us, I want you to do these things. Go back to James and we'll just finish with this where James gives the example of, of someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. Uh, he talks about, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. A very practical example. Someone who comes along and they're really in need. And the response is, we'll pray for you. Yeah? And James is saying, well, that doesn't really help their situation, does it? Now, I'm not undermining prayer, but what I'm saying is that often God is saying to us, there's a person in need. You are part of my body. I want you to be the person that reaches out to that person and helps them. Don't expect someone else. You've been trying to find catchy phrases because I find my headings are a bit too long. And I heard one on the radio, it says, um, practice what you pray. Normally we say practice what you preach, but this was practice what you pray. And I thought that was good, because so often we can pray. We'll pray for so-and-so. I just wish that they would have someone to be with them today and give them some company. I pray for so-and-so that they will um, be encouraged, that you'd encourage them. I pray for so-and-so that you would just help them as they go through a difficult time. And God is perhaps saying to us, you are the one that can encourage them, sit with them, talk to them. And that is living by faith. That is obeying what God is saying to us, putting into practice. It's not an airy-fairy. It's a very practical way of living. And that's what God wants us to do. We are a new creation when we become a Christian. We have got the Holy Spirit living in us. We seek to have the mind of Christ in these things. And he wants to use us um, so that we can demonstrate that love and compassion and witness to those around us. Those are the greater things that he wants us to do. And what an exciting prospect, isn't it, that all of us are engaged in that job that we've been given to do, that task. He's given us the means to do it through his Holy Spirit. And he's asking us to live by faith, trust in him, be obedient 
despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we do thank you that you're a God who understands each one of us. You know our limitations, you know our doubts and fears, you know the, all the anxieties that we have. And yet we 